It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today was a good day to be a Bengals fan. Joe Burrow, in my opinion, and not the opinion of the buffoons in the national media, including Tony Kornheiser, Pro Football Talk, which, of course, is Mike Florio. It sounds like Dan Patrick is even still pushing the same stuff. Don't listen. Don't watch anybody peddling that nonsense. You've got the Lockdown Bengals podcast for Joe Burrow News, and I've got for you in our first segment here today the most important things that he said during his podium time at the NFL Draft Combine. I'm sure you've all heard it, but we're going to play it again. We're going to listen in detail, and we're going to talk about each talking point that Joe Burrow relayed to everybody watching. And anybody in their right mind comes away from this thinking, of course he's going to go be a Cincinnati Bengal. Let's get into it. While a few resistant members of the national media who must have an agenda continue to peddle the narrative that Joe Burrow doesn't want to play in Cincinnati, Joe Burrow, when addressing the media today, seemed to have other things in mind. The Athletics' Paul Daner Jr. asked him point blank if he would show up if drafted by the Bengals. Ben Baby from ESPN asked Burrow if he'd be excited to play in Ohio. Let's take a listen to those questions and Burrow's answers. Joe, just, just to get this out of the way, if, if the Bengals select you at number one, would you happily report to go play for them? Yeah, I'm not going to not play. Um, I'm a ball player. Whoever picks me, I'm going to go show up. It would be exciting to be able to play in Ohio professionally, right? Yeah, absolutely. Two hours, 15 minutes from my house, and I could go home for dinner if I wanted to. Um, not, not a lot of pro athletes get to do that. Those were two of the first three questions asked of Joe Burrow when he was on the podium in Indianapolis in front of a throng, an absolute massive gathering of media members. And that's audio from Paul Daner Jr.'s Twitter feed. That's where you heard the questions and audio spliced in from the NFL Network YouTube feed of Joe Burrow's answers to the questions. And I just wanted to include the audio from Paul Daner's tweet so you could clearly hear those questions There's no doubt in anybody's mind after those two things alone, right, that Joe Burrow is going to report to Bengals camp. And later on in the day, Duke Tobin was asked about trading the number one pick. He said at this point it's doubtful. There are numerous reasons to believe the Bengals are locked in on Joe Burrow at number one and that he's excited to come back to Ohio. In fact, he said two of his best friends from Athens, Ohio are Bengals fans. Along with that, Joe Burrow addressed the leverage comment, saying that he was talking about the combine where he won't be throwing, he won't be working out. 
That's something that we have talked about on the Locked On Bengals podcast. That's obvious if you look at the entire interview where he talked about having leverage in the first place. He also addressed the media speculation on the topic. I believe it was Jay Morrison asked him directly, what do you think about the narrative? And he essentially called these media members out and they persisted after this podium session. Let's take a listen to what his words were. You know, the only thing that I've said is I I just didn't want to be presumptuous about the pick. And so that's why I've been noncommittal because I don't know what's going to happen. You know, they might not pick me. They might fall in love with someone else. So they, you know, you guys kind of took that narrative and ran with it, but there, there has never been anything like that from my end. And that's what we've been saying on the Lockdown Bengals podcast for the last several weeks. There is no prospect that has been a surefire number one overall pick, and Joe Burrow might not be. And that's exactly what he's acknowledging here. The Bengals aren't likely to trade back. They're not likely to pick a player besides Joe Burrow. But he doesn't know that yet. He hasn't met the team yet. As of the time of recording, he's meeting with them on Wednesday. The team has actually already met with Tua Tungo-Viola. Tua said that that meeting went well and he'd be thankful to whatever team drafted him. So there's two quarterbacks, national media, that have said on the record they would be willing to play for the Bengals one way or another. And Tua, like I said, he said that meeting went well. And because of this, the Bengals doing their due diligence are going to talk to Chase Young They're going to talk to Justin Herbert again. They're going to see all these guys perform in various athletic tests. They have to do their due diligence on this pick. If they didn't, if they said, we're phoning it in and picking Joe Burrow, and he turned out to be a bust, they would never hear the end of it. So the Bengals are doing their jobs. Joe Burrow is doing his job. And none of the noise that we've heard for the last month matters at all. It's honestly preposterous to me that there are any elements continuing to push the, but Joe Burrow didn't say he wanted to play for the Bengals. If he had his druthers, maybe he would want to go somewhere else, but that doesn't matter. If you ask 99% of the players in the NFL, what team they wanted to play for when they were a college prospect entering the draft, I doubt any of them would say the team that ended up picking them unless they had some prior knowledge players don't get to pick where they go. They don't go to the teams that they were childhood fans of. And Joe Burrow even said he was a bandwagon football fan when he was a kid. He just looked up to Drew Brees and watched Reggie Bush. But since Dan Patrick seems to continue to push this idea that he should have just said, you know, I want to play for Cincinnati and I want to take them to the Super Bowl. He was asked to delineate between I'm going to play for whoever drafts me and I want to be a Bengal. And he had an emphatic answer. I want to be in the first pick. I want to be a Bengal. Just, I mean, do you want to be? In your mind, what do you want to have? Yeah, of course, I want to be the first pick. You know, it's that's that's every kid's dream. You know, I'm I've worked really, really hard for this opportunity, and I'm blessed to be in this position. And uh, a lot of people helped me get here. Um, so I'm I'm just really excited to be in this place. If that's not enough to wrap up the press conference, he was asked about what do you like to throw to AJ Green, and I think that answer is also telling. I just, I don't know what else Dan Patrick wants. I would really love to talk to him directly and play these quotes for him and ask him where he continues to, what else does he need? I just, I don't get it. But but here's what he had to say about A.J. Green. You know, I think with any rookie quarterback, the more help you can get, the better. And A.J.'s been one of the best players at his position for a very long time. And, it, you know, if I am lucky enough to, to get drafted number one overall, I I would like to have him on the roster. 
Listen to the way he characterizes that answer. If I'm lucky enough to be drafted first overall, it would be great to have him on the roster. But the only team where you can get drafted first overall and have A.J. Green is the Cincinnati Bengals. And if that doesn't close the book on this whole thing, nothing will. All right, that wraps up. Hopefully for the last time, my diatribe, my rant about Joe Burrow, the national media narratives, and the way they've treated this whole thing with the Cincinnati Bengals. Coming up here in just a minute, Matt Minnick joins the podcast. We're going to talk about linebackers and why they're important. We're probably going to talk about Joe Burrow too, uh, but it won't be so ranty. Although I think Matt and I are <laughs> in a lot of agreement uh, as to the treatment that this has gotten from people like Mike Florio. So we'll get into all that in just a minute. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go, not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75 degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles. Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe we've talked about it before. You're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angels Trumpet Ale House. Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year, and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona. Take yourself a little spring break, plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, as promised, I'm joined today by Matt Minnick, Coach Minnick. Coach, when's the last time you coached some football? Uh, it's been, been a couple of years, unfortunately, but uh, uh, you can't keep me away. <laughs> Can't keep you away, and and just like Dante Scarnecchia, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no kidding. So, I think yeah, there's a there's definitely an itch, you know, and people get it in different ways, and and I love coaching for uh, for certain reasons, and I'm not not saying I'll com- I'm, I'll ever completely be away from it, but uh, it took me like like two months to discover writing, and uh, you know, you got to have some kind of mental outlet when you when you put so much energy into that stuff for years. Yeah, I mean, and obviously it's a completely different level of Skarnakia. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, that, I mean, but he's going out to the combine, right? He just retired, and you know, somebody sees him on a flight to Indianapolis to go. I mean, I guess you just go hang out, right? Like, there's no harm in that. But you can follow <laughs> Matt on Twitter at Coach Minnick. Highly recommend it. I, I don't know if you heard the podcast yesterday, Matt. I invoked your name, I think, three times about various topics. <laughs> I, you know, I'm sorry, I missed it. <laughs> no, you miss you miss I'm me keeping the you. praise on you there. <laughs> well, well, I appreciate that. So, yeah, you know, I, I think uh, you know Skarnicki's probably hanging out, talking talking ball, throwing some beers back. I mean, those are. I'll tell you what, I've I've 
I've been fortunate enough to, to meet a lot of guys and like the good ones, like, the, you know, no matter what level they're at, they'll like have a beer and talk football with anybody and they'll do it for hours on end and they don't care. And then, and then there's, then there's some guys that like try and big time you, but most of the time, the ones that are really good coaches are the ones that'll talk to anybody about football anytime. Anyway, that would be so fun for, for, and I'm not a coach, right? I'm, I'm a, I'm a casual observer essentially of, of football at this point. I'm a podcast host, you know, I, I have eight and a half inch hands. I measured them yesterday. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be a quarterback in the NFL. And if I was, then something would have gone terribly wrong. But you <laughs> you have this experience. But I've always thought, man, like if I could get Andy Dalton in a room and just watch a game with Andy Dalton, break down some film, see what he sees compared to what I see. Same for Zach Taylor, right? But for the longest time, I was focused on Andy Dalton. 2015 or maybe 14, I can't remember now. Might have been 16. There was one year where I was doing the PFF kind of process of charting every throw. I wasn't working for yeah. PFF at the time, although I did in the past. And I was like, man, I would I would love to just talk about these with him and, and see, am I am I seeing the same thing that he saw? Or, or yeah. why did he make that decision? And, and that would be really cool. But you recently had a podcast with the former Green Bay analytics guy, Mike Ayers. Am I saying that right? Yes. Yep. How did you get that contact? Is that a guy you've met in your network, or or is that a, how did that come about? He's actually a, he's actually a, a, a family friend or a friend of a family friend. So it's, he's a guy that uh, uh, I've I've been in contact with, and and just uh, I've had a lot of personal conversations with him uh, about some of these things. And finally, it was just like you know what, let, let, let's bring out the podcast and, and and share this knowledge. Uh, but yeah, he's a. Uh, that was a that was a great episode. Everybody out there hasn't heard it. It was uh, uh, he had 31 years of experience uh, in the NFL, the Vikings, and the Packers, running their analytics departments. And and his his uh, title was director of research and development. The analytics is kind of a kind of a newer term, but you know they've been doing that stuff for years. And uh, so yeah, that was a that was a great one. This guy's been in a lot of draft rooms and evaluated a lot of football. So. I, I think, you know, to, t- to touch on what you're saying, I think anytime you can get around anybody that, like, just really knows football inside and out, I mean, it, it, it's just great to, you know, e- you know, egos aside and just, like, listen to people and take in information. Um, you know, I, I know you, you, you and I have talked sometimes about my videos being a little bit long for you. Um, I, years ago, uh, I was at a, uh, I was at a conference uh, and, Ryan Day was at the time the receivers coach at Boston College, uh, or, or I think it was yeah, I think it was a receivers coach. He wasn't even the coordinator yet, uh, and I saw him talk about the slant route for an hour, one route, and it, just every single thing his receivers looking at, every every single adjustment that they would make to different coverages, and like how you know every single change that was in there. Um, I mean, some of these yes, yeah, some of these guys, the level that they break things down, look at that. Really, you know, really incredible with the, you know, how much detail there is in one simple part of one play. I think that for for me, and I like your videos a lot, and I've gotten over the length issue, and I just watch them. <laughs> the The thing about it though is I can't even, <laughs> I can't even play them on like one and a half speed, which I do with podcasts, right? Because because there's yeah. video, right? And I'm trying to see what you're <laughs> looking at too. Um, 
But but going back to the Ayers thing for a second, you talked about one of the things that I actually mentioned. I don't know if it was yesterday or two days ago, but right after I listened to your to your podcast with him, I, I talked the next day on our podcast about the process of building a draft board that you talked about. Then I read today on The Athletic this super forecasting thing, and I just find it all so interesting because, you know, you talk about the fact that analytics have been called something else. They've been around forever, but teams aren't better. And that's one of the findings that, that several different people, if you go back to 1980 and say from 1980 to 2020, 2019, are teams getting better at drafting? And the answer is no. The, mm. the, despite the amount of data that we have, teams continue to, to miss in the draft. And it's just, it's hard, right? You, you would expect, like, these are the people that are the best at it in the world. They're extremely good at their jobs, but the job just comes with so much uncertainty that you're going to miss. And, and do you have any ideas? Did you get a feel from Mike about anything or, or that, that, that's changing that could change the, the direction here that maybe some of this new data that we're getting could help things? Or is it just going to be a crapshoot forever? You know, I, I didn't really get any indication from, from him of, of anything along those lines. But I, I do feel like, you know, sometimes we, we distance the numbers from the football a little bit too much. Um, and, and I, I kind of feel like I live in a weird place because, uh, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I, I'll talk, I'll talk about numbers and I get old school football people yelling at me and, and I've, I've definitely had a few, uh, <laughs> a few analytics people, uh, you know, uh, down my throat about things from time to time based on things I said. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think you need a football guy to, to, who can interpret everything. Um, because, you know, more effort, more information is better, but only if you can you can figure out what it means and get to the heart of it. Because I mean, more information can be very very confusing. Uh, you know, unless you you have a way of cutting through it and figuring out what really is important, what really matters. And I think that's particularly you know because with football, you're looking for the outliers. So you know, sometimes people aren't going to fit a model uh, and they're going to, you know, in particular, if we're talking about the draft prospect uh, process, the, the guys you're looking for aren't always going to fit into exactly what you want. I mean, and, and you know, we can be slow to adapt. I mean, I, I laugh a little bit when, when people talk about how in today's NFL, it's so important to have a quarterback who can create because Bill Walsh, in his book talks about that. And the book's like 30 years old about, you know, that's what he loved about Montana. You know, Montana didn't have a huge arm, you know, but he, but he could create, he could do things. That's why he went out and got Steve young. And, um, you know, and that it took Patrick Mahomes taking the world by storm for everybody to realize that they want Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but even, I mean, even, you know, even then, like that was, that was, I, I looked at Mahomes and I was like, you know, this is, this is the guy because if he can do that stuff and, and you know clean up some of his other stuff, he's going to be awesome. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, it's just being able to interpret that and like, knowing what you want. And because a few years ago, the NFL didn't know they wanted Patrick Mahomes, and they took Mitch Trubisky first. You know, <laughs> Andy Reid knew. Yeah, Andy Reid knew. Andy Reid definitely knew. And, and credit Andy Reid, right? I've talked about that on this show before. Andy Reid finally got a Super Bowl. I think has solidified his legacy, but mm -hmm. I think underrated for a very long time because, you know, he had Alex Smith at quarterback and he didn't quite get it done with Donovan McNabb. 
And you talk about, you know, the, the need for a football guy in this analytics room and a lot of guys like Ian Rappaport will talk about or, or Daniel Jeremiah will talk about, you know, you're looking for fit and that's a big part of it. So it's just there's so many variables that go into the pot, right? You've got the, the scheme fit. You've got your minimum thresholds for various athletic testing for various positions. You've got positional value, which is something we're going to talk about with linebackers here in a little bit. And, well, and then there's subjectivity to it all, too. And, and as a podcast co-host, as an armchair guy, as a Twitter draft guy, I try to do all of it. I try to incorporate the analytics. I use the PFF grades to kind of help me understand productivity. I use market share. And then a lot of it is still, let's go to the film. Let's see what shows up. Let's look at traits. And you try to mash all that together. And the challenge for Joe and I has been, how do you weigh each of those attributes and, and get something that kind of summarizes the prospect in, in, a, in a grade that incorporates all those aspects? And I think that when somebody figures that out, maybe they'll have some answers. Yeah. And I mean, that's really tough, too, because even within a position group, like there's great you know, variability in that. Like, how do you win? You know, is what it comes down to. You know, how how do you win? How do you do your job? And what's going to be expected of you? And you know, I look at uh, I I had a bad experience or uh, scouting personally uh, a few years ago when Cooper Cup came out. I saw his film and I was like, this guy's this guy's the man. And you know, I like I coached at the FCS level. I respect that level, but I you know I always kind of looked at it as for a an FCS or a D two type of guy that the testing was really important. And then when I saw him, you know, how he, how he performed at the combine, I, I, I knocked him down. Cause I was like, you know what, maybe he can't, maybe he can't hang with these guys based on the numbers he put up. Uh, but I, mean, I lost sight of it. Like that's, that's not how we won. You know, he wasn't the fastest guy at the FCS level either. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely something you have to, you have to balance. And uh, you know, to me, I've kind of fallen back on, the film and when I talk about like grades on guys and, and how I'm, I, all I really do is a film grade. Cause I don't, I don't really know how to balance all the other stuff as well. Um, you know, and, and when you get into medicals and I'm not looking at any, you know, I'm not, I'm not examining a person. I'm not a doctor. You know, you get into, um, uh, you know, you get into some of the, some of the stats and it's like, all right, well, th- these are all different situations. Um, you know, so you, you kind of you have to fall back on, on what you know and then kind of kind of trust other people, you know, to look at look at what other people are doing as well. So that's, I, I kind of focus on the film myself, but realize that there's an asterisk on it that, you know, there are obviously other things that are, are going to come into play with it. And I think that that's fair, right? Like teams are doing a pretty similar thing and they're going to have minimum benchmarks. You can look at the Bengals history. They have their archetypes and Joe has done this research. Interesting to talk about Cooper cup though. You look at his 40 yard dash is terrible, but then mm-hmm. you look at his agility drills and he's 81st percentile in the three cone, 82nd percentile in the 20 yard shuttle. So those are both really good. So his agility testing is really good. So, sure. so he still has something athletically to hang his hat on. And I think that is a big part of, of where he wins. And then you mm-hmm. look at that class, right? Cooper Cup, below average athlete, 46th percentile overall, give or take. The top of that class, Robert Davis, Zay Jones, Chris Godwin, Amara (laughs) Darbo, Kenny Galladay. So two out of those five have really done much in the NFL. And I guess the the jury's still out to some degree on on all these guys, but Zay Jones in particular, 
I think Robert Davis and Amara Darbo, are they still in the, I don't even know if they're in the NFL. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a good indicator that athleticism obviously isn't everything. Tape needs to play a big factor in it. And then for me, mm-hmm. something that I want to talk about with you specifically as it pertains to the linebacker position is, is, is positional value. And this idea that PFF has with their wins over replacement that has been really interesting to digest this off season. Yeah. So Joe will be with us in just a minute and we'll get into it with him. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And as promised, Joe Goodberry back with us. Matt Minnick, though, the special guest tonight, whose name I've said I invoke on this podcast all the time to talk about the good work he's doing. You can find his stuff over on Cincy Jungle where he writes and he puts his videos up. His, what what are they called? The Coach coach Blackboard? It's not that. What, what do you call the your chalk videos? Chalk Talk. Chalk Talk. It's, uh, yeah, it's the Matt Minnick's Bengals Chalk Talk. There you go. Go check out Matt Minnick's Bengals Chalk Talk. So we wanted to talk about the positional value of linebacker because this is something Joe and I have struggled with for the last couple of years in the draft. For The Bengals have had an obvious need there. But then we sit there and we think, man, you really want to take Devin Bush instead of Jonah Williams? And and it's, we talk ourselves out of it right away. Yeah, and, and I agree with you there. You know, um, I was I was a fan of Devin White, and I could have bought. You know, I was I was talking myself into Devin White, uh, but honestly, I didn't think Jonah Williams was going to be there when the Bengals were selected. I, he he was the uh, my top tackle in the class. Um, I thought he would go a little bit higher, and I think the the Steelers might have might have done the Bengals a favor there. Um, but I think sometimes we get a little carried away with position value uh, because you know at the top. At the top half, when you're talking about a, a top ten pick, when you're talking about a first round pick, you know I I understand it, um, but you know when we're talking about pick thirty three, I I'm not saying they should be targeting linebacker at that spot because that's not how I think you should draft, um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a you know a high caliber athletic linebacker at the top of the second round. I actually agree with with Matt here, um, and it's, it wasn't until he made that point because I think once you get into round two, if you look at positional value, a lot of times these guys get knocked down. Where do you find good guards, right, mid to late? Is sometimes even second round because teams aren't going to draft a guard in the second round or in the first round. They're not going to draft a center in the first round typically, so they get a lot of good centers in the second round. I think linebacker and safety at times, even though safety's been weird lately where these hybrid guys are starting to get pushed up a little bit, uh, that I think you can find – the right linebacker in round two, the best linebacker in, in the league, in my opinion, Bobby Wagner. I think I, probably everyone would agree round two pick. I mean, the Bengals, if they've had success and maybe Odell Thurman was so long ago that it's the, the <laughs> last good linebacker they drafted, but that was round two. And I think you find these guys in that range. And that's usually when Jake and I are doing these um, mock draft simulations where we get in the round two and it's like, all right, now it's actually a debate. It's been hard for us in the first round. And now number one, obviously, but sure. uh, I, you know, I think when you get in the round two. So that's I didn't have a question. I was agreeing with you, Matt. But I do have a question <laughs> about the linebacker position. And if if 
when you're watching film, uh, you break down as X's knows. I think you're you're the best at it for that for for Bengals content. But from a player evaluation, if you're looking at it from a GM, what are the traits you're looking for in that linebacker? I mean, you know, the biggest aspect uh, comes back to speed. Uh, you know, and and having the the speed to be able to cover a lot of distance that is something that the Bengals have lacked. Um, I think that you can survive with an A gap, B gap, you know, plugging linebacker if you are extremely good on your edges. And we've seen like the Patriots have done that in the past. The, the Bengals are notoriously bad on the edge. Um, and, you know, so when you have that and you have no speed to go sideline to sideline and then with them getting on the edge on you, you're in a lot of trouble. And those are the guys, by the way, that shouldn't be valued. You know, those guys that are just plugging gaps, they're not really contributing that much for you. Um, you know, so, so they shouldn't do much. You know, I, I think from my standpoint, and Jake and I were talking previously by you kind of always had to be evaluating yourself and, and your process. Um, this is, it almost makes me sick to say it out loud, but I think I overvalue tackling ability. Uh, you know, uh, we're, you know, like I, I think, especially my film grades, I'm I'm really high. And I, I see the guy that is making great tackles, um, you know, and, and and you know, high percentage, good form. I'm a little bit overvaluing that, and and you know, we got to focus a little bit more on the athletic traits to be able to go sideline to sideline. But at the end of the day, you know, we'll we'll talk about what really makes a linebacker valuable in a minute. But if you're going to play in the box linebacker. You've got to be able to make a quick read. You got to be able to fill a gap, and you got to be able to get off blocks. You know, if you're an outside of the box guy, you know, if you're playing, you're playing outside linebacker mainly. Maybe you can survive without being, you know, great at getting off blocks because you're only dealing with receiver blocks and things. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to be able to do those things, and that's what I see. I'll, I'll, I'll throw one name under the bus: Troy Dye in this year's draft. A lot of people are very high on him. Great athlete. I don't I don't love him when he's in the box. And I don't think he's a very good tackler either, which um, I want to make the point that tackling uh, tackling quantity does not equal tackling ability because the guy's made it. He's got a ton of tackles, but he's got a ton of tackles because he runs the ball. Um, and you know, honestly, I, I see some some plays on film where he's falling off a tackle and somebody else comes and cleans it up. And I know he's getting credit for that in the stat sheet. Uh, but to me, it's a missed tackle. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I really think that like athletic ability is what really pushes them up and gives them a lot, a lot of value. But you've got to be able to do those things inside the box to, to disengage, get off blocks, get in the gap uh, that you need to be in. And you talk about Troy Diet and, and I had issues with his motor at times, too. I think he's long and, and there's just not enough power. When he's when he's hitting blockers, he's not doing what Patrick Queen does, where he's got the agility to kind of disengage the blocker before the blocker gets hands on him. And and I, th- I think I'm with you on Troy Dye, but let's talk about what can make a linebacker very valuable. I know you highly value positional flexibility. You've talked about Lou Anarumo deploying these edge rushers the Bengals have in different ways, moving them around. Uh, you have a whole video on it actually. And you did a video on Patrick Queen and on Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. So sell me on 
the the value of a linebacker. Say you needed to sell me on one of those two guys. Say one of those two guys is there at 33. And it's it's them or it's, you know, a Grant Delpit or it's a Cameron Dantzler or a Jeff Gladney. Is there mm-hmm. an argument to go linebacker over those guys? Um, I think there could be. Um, and I'm not going to completely finish my uh, defensive back grades here until after the uh, the combine numbers come out. Uh, but uh, Gladney is going to be a tough sell <laughs> to, uh, uh, to to pass on Gladney, that is. Uh, but, you know, the others, I could see it. So let me, um, you know, let me back this up. So uh, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, you know, top 10 running backs. One of, you know, what you know, but what's the difference? Was 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 McCaffrey worth the pick? Was was Fournette worth the pick in the in the top ten? Are you asking me, uh, Fournette? No, McCaffrey. Mm. Uh, it's close. It's close because because he they didn't they didn't quite get it done with him, right? Mm-hmm. And and you, you can't build around a running back the way you can build around a quarterback on a rookie deal. So they're going to have to pay him a ton of money. And, and, and yeah, maybe they'll get the guy in the rookie quarterback deal. So they'll be able to build with him making a ton of money. But I mean, obviously more so McCaffrey than, than Fournette, the way they've built that offense around McCaffrey, but I would still sort of lean. No. All right. Well, but it's still, it's a conversation. All right. Yeah. And, and Joe, Joe maybe... let me get Joe's take on this real quick. What do you think? Yeah, Christian McCaffrey worth a top 10 pick. Yeah, he is because of his receiving ability. A running back's not worth anything unless they can make a difference in, a re- in the receiving game, in my opinion. Uh, the running backs, the running part of it is the common part. The the ability to be a space player and a chess piece for the offense is the difference, and that's where McCaffrey comes in. Yeah, because he can line up out wide, right? Like Alvin oh, Kamara yeah. can do this too. He could be a starting slot receiver. If yeah. he got too old where he couldn't carry the ball 300 times anymore, I think he'd be a starting slot receiver. And we might see him go that way. But, Matt, let's get back to your point here. About yes. What you're so that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to get at is it, to me, it's the same thing with linebacker. Like if you're just playing the run, you know, again, that, that, that should be common. We should be able to find guys that can do that. All right. But if you can contribute and you can affect the quarterback in different ways, you have more value. Um, so, you know, that can be as a, as a pressure guy. All right. And now, you know, we're not really talking about outside linebackers, you know, like edge players. Um, but you know, even an inside linebacker, if, if you're able to have an effect on the quarterback uh, by by getting pressure, um, you know, that adds to your value. And then you've got to be able to uh, make plays in the pass game in coverage. Uh, so that's, you know, that's where these guys come in is that especially Queen, that's that, that to me is what, what pushes Queen above is that to me, Queen's, Queen is a more complete, uh, more finished project. Than Murray right now, uh, and I think I think he's the one that I think is less likely to be there. But I think he's the one that's that if he's there, you gotta you gotta take a real hard look at uh, because he does all the all the right things in the run game. He can get off of blocks, but he's got some good coverage ability. Uh, he can match up on backs out of the backfield. You know, you see him make some make some plays in, in zone as well. So he can affect the quarterback. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you know. The closer you can put yourself to the quarterback. And, and tie with the production of the quarterback, whether you're an offensive player or a defensive player, uh, the more valuable you are. So, you know, that's that's why I use that comparison. 
and 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 I'm you know I'm with you. I think like Kamara, we this year he didn't get as much play. Uh, you know, people aren't talking about him quite as much, but people talk about Kamara as one of the top like five running backs in the league before the season, and the guys never rushed for a thousand yards. You know, <laughs> so. Um, so, you know, the common part, he's not doing a lot of, but because he is honestly probably the best slot receiver in the NFL, uh, but but lining up in the backfield to do it, uh, he's got tremendous value. So I think it's the same thing with the linebacker position. If you can affect the quarterback, if you can play coverage, if you can get to the quarterback, um, you know, as a blitzer, then those things make you worth a worth a pick. I'm going to be really interested, really interested to see how Malik Harrison tests. Because I think if you can get him in the third round, I, I might rather have him than anyone else. But I think there's a long way to go on this too, right? Like one thing that Joe and I talk about is, is solo market, solo tackle market share, which Patrick Queen, I think is a unique case. He didn't start for the beginning of this year and he wasn't really playing full-time snaps for a lot of the year. So I'm not sure if that metric is going to be accurate for him. But if it is, he is like below draftable. So that's something that we're going to have to look at, I think. I, but but I agree with you. I think compared to Murray, Queen at least shows you that he has dropped in coverage. He's played some of those deep zones, and you just don't see it with, with Murray. You see him spying. You see him in the short zones. You see him blitzing. And one thing that I found really interesting in your positional versatility bit uh, that you did a couple – uh, a couple of weeks ago now was I think I undervalued blitzing and linebackers, especially with Luana Rumo. I think I'm so used to Mike Zimmer and that kind of defense that I, I haven't cared about blitzing for 10 years. And, and now I have to care about it again. Yeah. When we were talking about Devin Bush and Devin white a year ago, I wasn't really thinking about that aspect of it either, but it was just looking at the film this year and looking at, I mean, particularly with, uh, with vigil, you know, they were lining up vigil, you know, in the in, in the middle of the uh, of the formation, like in the a gaps, a lot and, and sending them. Now, there's a couple of ways to look at that, and so as a coach, uh, I have had experiences where sometimes you don't have the best players, uh, and sometimes getting them moving is better than letting them try and make reads and react slow. So maybe he was doing that because he was stuck with vigil. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Maybe if there's a better player in there, he won't do it as much. Um, but just trying to look at what what he was able to do. If you if you put Queen in there, like I think Queen makes some better some better plays, uh, and maybe has an effect on the quarterback in some of these situations where he's going. Um, and you know, we talk about position versatility, and and I've got a video coming out uh, this week actually where I look at some edge players uh, as well as uh, an, other, an outside backer and kind of look at how they can affect it. And I would say the same thing with like, like uh, James Uche from Michigan. You know, I, I've seen him rush the edge, but I've also seen him line up like a backer and, and, and head right up the B gap. And, you know, a guy like that can have some effect. Uh, and so I, I think if Anna Rumo is going to be creative with these guys, uh, you know, having a bunch of guys that can do some different things in there could could make this defense really interesting. I, I get excited watching this defense for as bad as it was, just seeing some of the things they were trying to do late in the year. It's, there, there's some very, there, there's a lot of potential there. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm hoping for the best right now. 
That's why I wonder how they'll feel about Zach Bond at 33 because of the different things you can do there, especially pass Absolutely. rushing and if you can drop him into coverage a little bit, which he did at the Senior Bowl. And then Akeem Davis-Gaither, who I think if yep. he lights up the combine, we're going to have to talk about him because position versatility, he was like the Isaiah Simmons at Appalachian State where they would move him around, do a bunch of stuff with him. He'd rush off the edge. He'd drop mm-hmm. into coverage. He'd defend the run. And he, for a smaller guy, doesn't let himself get touched by blockers. And I think having that that awareness and, and just being able to see the game um, kind of in – you kind of have to have a slow motion or an anticipation from the linebacker position. I think he, had, he has that. Uh, I really think he could be in the conversation if he destroys the combine at 33. And if not, then hopefully he's there in, in the third round. I think that would be a good value pick. You know, it's funny because those uh, Uche and those two are, are the three guys that the video I just I just made uh, are on. I can uh, tell, and, by and the I, way, you described them. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and I, I think that those guys um, they can do some of the same things, but they all have really unique skill sets too. Um, Bond is a really interesting one because I think he's the best pass rusher of the group, and obviously, you know, that's that's a value if he can play off the off the ball linebacker. In addition to that. Um, and, and Joe, you know, you, you were at the senior bowl practices, so you saw a little bit more of him in that action, uh, live than I did. So love to hear your take on it. Um, you know, but if you can get him to do that, he's got the, he's got the highest floor, uh, because worst case scenario, he's a situational pass rusher. Yeah. And as for practice, he was strictly a linebacker and they were doing a lot of, uh, three, four and four, three looks. So he was, he was getting some edge stuff and, um, and some middle linebacker in a three, four kind of as the thumper role, which I thought worked, especially if they had a more agile linebacker next to him when they did, uh, you know, he was coming downhill, taking blocks and you could blitz with him. You could do different things in the a gap with him. I didn't think he looked out of place at all, dropping in the coverage, especially in the middle of the field. Uh, so I wonder if he's a sandbacker, even in a, in a four, three, maybe over under type stuff. Uh, or do, is he just like a, a middle linebacker that you're going to keep in the box and let him take on blockers? Cause he's really good with that. And then you kick Tremaine Pratt to the outside and let him roam around a little bit. So go look at Matt's video. We'll see if he has some things to say that line up to what you've heard on this podcast, what you've heard from Joe in his summary of the senior bowl practices that he saw in person, Matt, it has been an absolute pleasure. Could talk Bengals football with you for hours. It feels like you are a wealth of knowledge. You are a great resource for the community and we are glad that you can finally, uh, well, glad that we, I think finally made the move to get you on here. This has been great. This is the second time he's been on here. What is it? Not, no, no. You were you were on my draft mm. show before, but I haven't been on yours before. That's right. I've never <laughs> spoken sorry. to Matt Minnick before. That was me and John that went on. Yeah, you get all the invites, Joe. Mo Egger bringing you on his show last minute last night. I'm sitting yeah. over here. You even misquoted the tweet that I talked about on the show yesterday. Ah, sorry, it was before it's that. Okay. You know what? It's okay. We got to wrap this show up. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Bengals podcast today. We'll be back tomorrow with more Combine news. I'm sure we'll maybe finish our free agent series that we've been working on, maybe not, our positional outlook series. We have a few more positions to do. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. 
If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.